Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download the Free Living Truth app. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 2, 11 through 25, called The Shaping of a Leader. We want to enter into people's pain and be Christ's hands and feet. Amen? This is what we talk about in the church. This is where we take you know, what we learn and we actually put it into practice in the world. And so Moses went out. He took his heart. He saw the pain. And it was probably tough for him to see because these, this was his people. You know, he, he had been obviously largely shaped in the Egyptian setting, but still he felt compassion. He went out to his brethren. He looked. He saw. End of 11. An Egyptian beating. The idea of beating is naka in Hebrew or nakao. And it can mean to smite or it could even mean to kill. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren, one of his brothers. There's Moses. He has sympathy, empathy. He looks. He feels the emotion. And then he sees a travesty where the Hebrew could imply that if this goes on, this Egyptian, perhaps taskmaster, is going to kill this Hebrew. What do you do now? What would you do if you were Moses? You're an Egyptian prince. This is what the Pharaoh has ordered. Hard, rigorous labor among the Hebrews to keep them down and build our cities. And there you are, but you're Hebrew. And now you watch the reality of what's been happening for years, but now you see it. Now you're exposed to it. Now what are you going to do? Now there's those TV shows, what would you do? Right? If you were put in this position. And some people behave, you know, great sometimes when the cameras are hidden and some people don't, don't do so hot. And that's where, really where the rubber meets the road as a Christian. According to Brevard Childs, one writer says, this phrase, he goes out, and then Hebrews eleven twenty six says he does it for the disgrace of Christ or for uh, the sake of Christ. He suffers disgrace for the sake of Christ. That's Hebrews eleven twenty six NIV. The idea, it indicates an actual participation by Moses in Christ's shame. In the same way as the saints who follow Christ later also share Philippians 3.10 in the fellowship of his sufferings. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused the wealth, the privilege, and all of that. He refused. He made a conscious decision. I will not be called her son. I will go out to my people and I will suffer disgrace for the sake of Christ. I will share in his sufferings. And obviously Christ was to be born later after the time of Moses. But there was an affinity because Jesus Christ is eternal God. And Moses was finding an affinity with his heart for his people. This is why Jesus left heaven. This is why he became human. Because he saw our pain. He knew our taskmasters, if you will. He knew what it was doing to us to be in the world and be under Satan's grip, if you will. And he came on a rescue mission and left the glories of heaven. Now, there's not a direct parallel, obviously, because Moses is a fallen human and Jesus is 
uh, God, second person of the Holy Trinity. But still, I think you can see the connection. Moses had to count the cost. And so do we. We have to count the cost. Do I really want to live for the Lord? Do I really want to be a believer who lives out my faith? He gave up position, pleasure, and prosperity. And by doing so, rejected three of the world's biggest temptations. Listen, they are narcissism, hedonism, and materialism. And they are hard to fight. Because they appeal to us. If I can have people wait on me, if I can make life all about me, if I can have gobs of material wealth, no matter what's happening to somebody down the street, doesn't really matter because I got my stuff and I got my kingdom. That's what the world really deems is, is important. And even philanthropy that comes oftentimes is done for selfish purposes to put my name on some foundation or something like that. But that's not Christ's heart. And so Moses looks He sees this terrible situation going on. He had a moment of decision. He looked, verse 12, this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, around is added by the translators, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Moses killed him. He looked around and he killed him. Now, there are volumes written uh, on whether or not what Moses did was correct and how to best understand the passage. And let me just tell you that ancient commentators all the way out throughout church history, many of them try to defend Moses. They say Moses is kind of doing the eye for the eye, tooth for a tooth kind of thing. And he intervenes and maybe even Moses' action typifies what God is about to do because God is going to strike down the gods of the Egyptians, strike down the firstborn of Egypt And Moses is the deliverer, so maybe this is an early indication of what God will do in the Exodus. And that's certainly possible, and many commentators go that way. There are others that you could read, and they would say, no, Moses did the wrong thing because murder is never right. But if you read, you know, some treatments on this idea of the Sixth Commandment and what it actually means, thou shalt not kill There are certainly times when killing would be appropriate. For example, capital punishment. Defending your wife or your home against an attacker. And there's even volumes written on something called just war theory. And just war theory means that there are some wars that are justified because they stem the tide of evil. If a nation rises up and is killing other innocent people, it would be right for another nation to step up and defend them. And this even spills over to civil government, police officers, and the like. Of course, all things being equal when it's done for the right purposes, right reasons, etc. So these are the struggles that you deal with when you look at a text like this. And these are some of the ideas that come out that we have to wrestle with as believers and understand what we believe and why we believe it. I had a conversation with a young man about capital punishment and he said he struggled with it because if we get it wrong, we've ended a life unjustly. And I said, I totally understand, but I will also say to you that we shouldn't argue from an exception. We shouldn't argue that, well, we don't do capital punishment because we could get it wrong. You always argue from the norm. You argue from what's right and true, not from the exception. Even though I know we'd want to be careful, and I will say, even in today's world, how careful are people until someone actually has to face you know, a death penalty? It's, it's a pretty long process. 
I'm not trying to make light of any of this. I'm just telling you what the ideas are and the struggles in terms of looking at, you know, how we live our lives. There are others who see verse 12, and I'll put this before you for consideration, that when he looked around, his looking around was that there was nobody to help. In other words, Moses' looking around might be something like this. He looked around to see if anybody else would intervene, if anybody else would do anything. A story came out of New York this some years ago of a person who was stabbed in front of a, uh, like a little convenience liquor store in, on the streets of New York. And the person was laying there bleeding. And for many minutes, people stepped over the person and went into the store and shopped. And some people were even taking cell phone video of him on the ground. But nobody was intervening. <laughs> and this is the verse that we could make the connection. It's Isaiah fifty nine sixteen. God saw that there was no one. And he was appalled that there was no one to intervene, no intercessor. So his own arm worked salvation for him, Isaiah fifty nine sixteen. His own righteousness sustained him. Moses is going to be a mediator, and he looks around to see if anybody will mediate. And God points back to him, if you will, and this is often what we do. Is there anybody out there to help? Because I'm kind of busy. Can, can we call, call one of those professional ministers to help out? And I'm saying there are, there are times when we should do that, but then there are other times when you've got the goods to do it. You're sharing the gospel with a friend. You can share the gospel with them. Amen? You can intervene. You can be a type of mediator. The church is to be equipped for works of service. Amen? Engaged in the ministry, uh, reaching out to a broken world. Now, whether you believe that Moses looked around for an intercessor, someone else to help, or he looked around to make sure the coast was clear, this is a couple of major views. It seems like the language would lend itself to he looked around to see if anybody else was watching because then he does bury the guy. He kills him and buries him. But I would submit to you that, you know, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of both here. I don't know. And so Moses intervenes and he helps. Now, let me take you quickly to Acts 7. And this is the commentary by Stephen. And I think it's valuable to see it because... You know, we can comment on passages, but when the New Testament comments on an Old Testament passage, that's the first go-to, right? We have brilliant minds in the church, in the history of the church, but I want to see what, what, what other authors or other speakers inspired by the Spirit say about what happened. This is Acts seven twenty four. Stephen says, when he saw one of them, Egyptians, Acts seven twenty four, beating being treated unjustly, I'm sorry, he saw one of his brethren being treated unjustly. He defended him, Acts 7.24, and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian, Acts 7.25. And he supposed, did Moses, that his brethren, Hebrews, understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Would you notice that at this point, Moses already knows that he's the deliverer. Now, if we watch Cecil B. DeMille's movie, we get the idea that Moses doesn't even know until the burning bush. And I, I would say that's where it's all solidified. But Moses already knows. According to Stephen's sermon, he already knows that he has a delivering call on his life. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. And he supposed, did Moses, that his brethren, Hebrews, understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Would you notice that at this point, Moses already knows that he's the deliverer. Now, if we watch Cecil B. DeMille's movie, we get the idea that Moses doesn't even know until the burning bush. And I I would say that's where it's all solidified. But Moses already knows, according to Stephen's sermon, he already knows that he has a delivering call on his life. And how that was all manifested, I don't know for sure. But Stephen says, Moses thought the people would understand. Jesus came to his own and his own would not receive him. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, John 1, 11 and 12. And so Stephen goes on. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together. We'll see this in a moment. He tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? If you're interested, write down Luke nineteen fourteen, where Jesus tells a parable and indicates that this is what Israel was saying about him, who made you ruler and judge over us, Luke 19, 14. You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? And at this remark, Moses fled, became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. That'll be for our family Sunday next time we're together. But there's some of the commentary back to Exodus chapter 2. And here's Moses. Did he jump the gun? Did he get ahead of God? Did he do the right thing, the wrong thing? (laughs) You know, we can conjecture all of this. I'll let you wrestle with some of this. But here's Moses, and he has killed this Egyptian. He has made really a totally life-transforming decision because all the implications he's got to know It is a capital crime to strike an Egyptian and kill them. But Moses is the prince. And so, is he within his rights? These are some of the concepts wrestled with. 
So he's done this now, verse 13, Exodus 2, uh, next scene, if you will. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting. Now, two brethren, not an Egyptian and a Hebrew, but two uh, family members, if you will, in servitude, probably frustrated, probably tired. That happens sometimes, but they were fighting. And this is a physical fight with each other. And he, Moses, said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? Why are you beating each other up? Why do this? And I'm going to mention something that is reality in our world, that there is abuse that happens to people sometimes within the setting of a marriage or a family. And oftentimes it is buried and not spoken about. And people get caught in a cycle of abuse. And this just jumped off the page. And I'll, I'll just put it before you for if, if it's for somebody hearing this or who will watch this later. Here's a question. Why are you striking your companion? Why are you doing that? There is no excuse for that. Whether you are a male or a female, whether you decide that your anger must be manifested in throwing something at your spouse or even striking them or pushing them or threatening them with your voice, it is not okay. It's not okay. Why do you do that? Says Moses, the deliverer. But the response is, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? That Moses, then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. Now, Moses thought that his people would understand, but they saw him as perhaps a Johnny-come-lately leader. Or maybe, because I'm sure people knew the story of Moses, maybe they said something like this, where have you been for decades as we're getting beat out here? You're up in the palace getting your education. They're feeding you grapes and fanning you. Now you finally care? Maybe some of that. I don't know. But there's disdain, and, and somehow they know what Moses has done. They have witnessed it. And so Moses, once again, typifies Jesus Christ. Coming to intervene, give us hope and life, and many reject Jesus. Many of his own people, when he came, of course, would not receive him. The leadership of Israel, largely, although there were some who believed, some Pharisees who believed, largely rejected him. And they said, who are you? And by what authority do you do these things? Who made you prince and judge? Uh, God. <laughs> because I am God. But boy, they had issues. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, the Pharaoh tried to kill Moses, Exodus 2.15, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, the, this is a big transition in the life of Moses. First 40 years in Egypt, he kills the Egyptian, he confronts uh, uh, an argument or a fight, He's exposed. The Pharaoh once puts a death sentence on his head and off to Midian he goes. And I'll just say, there's some different uh, views on where, what Midian represents, but the Midianites were descendants of Abraham through a wife named Keturah, Genesis 25. And this land is somewhere in the Arabian Sinai Peninsula uh, near the Gulf of Aqaba. And I'll just say to you that this is the desert. This is... 
If you want to think Sinai, you've got the picture now. Moses is going out to this people of Midian, this land of Midian. He's now gone out to the wilderness. Moses has his own exodus from Egypt, and now he's going to have 40 years where? In the wilderness. For what? To prepare him to lead the people out. He will experience his own individual exodus, his own 40 years in the wilderness, all in preparation and shaping him as a leader. And sometimes, you know, we're doing life and we're like, Lord, this is a wilderness, the 91 freeway. (laughs) What am I doing here? Stuck among cars. Oh, that you would give my car wings. Oh, that you would get me out of the desert, you know. Why do you have me here for years in this situation? Preparation. (laughs) Everything can be preparatory in your life, right? You learn faithfulness. You learn, you know, that God, and, and this is something that you've probably heard before, but God does his shaping of many great Bible characters in the wilderness. Even Jesus Spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, retracing the fallen footsteps of Israel as the Messiah. And sometimes we're in the wilderness, and that's where God gets our attention without all the noise, without all the devices. The last year of our lives certainly has been a wilderness. (laughs) You remember the early days? No sports, no this, no that. Like, what am I going to do now? Some of you discovered that you waste a lot of time on things that have no value. You've been listening to The Shaping of a Leader, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 2, 11-25. And as always, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, if you're having a hard time and need someone to talk to, or maybe you don't even feel like talking, but you could use some prayer, We have pastors on staff that would love to do that with you. You can call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, maybe you would say, like Moses, I've made some mistakes in my life. How can I help anyone with their troubles if I've created a slew of my own troubles? Well, you know, when we come to Jesus, one of the first things that happens is he starts to clean up uh, those things that we've done wrong. He first deals with our sin, of course. That's, you know, the, the significant, most important issue. Our sin must be dealt with. But we have patterns and habits that the sanctification process addresses. We get saved completely by grace through faith. There's nothing we add to it. But then God starts doing a chiseling work in our life. He starts conforming us into the image of Christ. How does he do that? By mind transformation through his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by teaching us to crucify the flesh and elevate the things of the Spirit. I think most of you know that's the key. And when that happens, well, you're going to be able to help others because Christ will be forming you know, the shape of himself in you. Now, this year we have a special event called Harvest Fest. We've been doing it annually for a number of years now. And it happens as a Halloween alternative on October the 31st, which is a Monday this year, 5.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. 
We normally have hundreds and hundreds of people's families, kids, uh, teenagers, etc., who walk through. This year's theme is the greatest joy on earth, a carnival theme. And we're going to have things like uh, game booths. We're going to have candy, trunks of treats, inflatables, fun for the kids, a bakewalk. We'll have food, hamburgers, hot dogs, etc. Uh, we're going to have music. It's going to be a great time. The gospel will be preached that night as well. We're always excited to make known the light of the gospel, especially in light of this particular holiday. Admission is free. And uh, it's happening at Living Truth in the city of Corona. Your kids will have a great time. Um, oftentimes, people do, if you were curious, dress up in costumes. We just ask for nothing scary, and Bible characters are always a wonderful thing. So it's the greatest joy on earth. It's a harvest event at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. You can get information and driving directions when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. Look for the pillar, the red pillar, or go to walkintruth.com and click on that church tab. There's also much more for you like info on church services, Bible studies, and the like. Walkintruth.com. Click on that church tab. See you tomorrow. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, all to help more people like you dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $5 a month. Or you can give a one-time gift. Visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 2, verses 11 through 25, called The Shaping of a Leader. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.